Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord, and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Lesson for today comes from today's epistle lesson, where Paul writes this, For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back again into fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by it we may cry out, Abba, Father. And this is without a doubt the very word of our God, as it is found in Romans chapter 8, beginning in the 12th verse. Well, soon, very soon, we're going to celebrate the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. Of course, the core message, the core teaching of the Reformation, you know what it is. We're saved by God's grace alone, apart from the works of the law. You know, Luther was tormented for years. He was certainly tormented as a monk, Wondering, how can I get right with God? How can I earn forgiveness of sins? And God showed him in his word what God had already done for him. How God had sent his only son into this world to pay the price demanded for our sin. You see, the Reformation is all about Jesus. Always has been, and it always will be. Luther also understood the power of music to carry the freight, so to speak, to carry the message of the Word of God in a clear and concise way. Uh, Luther once wrote, uh, he said, I place music next to theology, and I give it the highest praise because it can drive away the devil, and it can make people cheerful, and it can make people who are willing and lovingly wanted to respond to God. He understood how singing lifts the spirit and points us to Christ Jesus, points us to what Jesus has done to free us from our sins. And so it is that he wrote, we sing neither songs lament or songs of sorrow to our loved ones who have died, but rather we sing songs of comfort. Songs of the forgiveness of sins. Songs of the certainty of the resurrection, which strengthens our faith and encourages our devotion to Christ. The hymn that we just sang, Dear Christians, One and All Rejoice, is a hymn that Martin Luther penned. It's actually the first congregational hymn that he ever wrote. And ironically, dear Christians, one and all rejoice, he wrote it on the occasion of the death of two of his followers. The martyr's death of a man named Johann Asch and Heinrich Vos. Again, it seems rather ironic that he would write, dear Christians, one and all rejoice at the martyr's death of two of his friends, but Luther knew the words of Scripture, he knew that nothing can separate us from the love of God. He knew that death for a child of God is not the end. It's just the beginning. As God's people, we have every reason to rejoice. But for years, Luther was tormented by what he called the monster of uncertainty. The monster of uncertainty is this, that he felt that he could never be sure of where he stood before God. He was tormented with the idea that God was anything but a gracious, a comforting, a loving God. But rather, 
a God who was out to get you for your sins. He failed to understand that God is both a God of justice as well as a God of love. In fact, most theological heresies today are the result of looking at God as either one of those things, but not both of them. Our world has been very good, you'd have to say it, ignoring the righteousness and the holiness of God. Denying that God would ever punish anyone. But that doesn't wash. We know that sin is really sin. And if our sin stands between us and God, then we aren't His children. And He isn't our dear Father. And maybe there are times when our conscience has reminded us of that. And maybe sometimes we think that's where our relationship with God is stuck, and it will forever remain there. But thank God, Luther eventually learned the truth of God's Word. And the comforting words from Romans chapter 8. And so it is, based on Romans chapter 8, he penned the words of this hymn that I want to look at it a little bit more detail today. Dear Christians, one and all rejoice. Based upon, especially verse 15, you did not receive a spirit of slavery so that you might be once again immobilized in fear, but you received the spirit of sonship that you and I might cry out, Abba, Father. You know, look at it this way. You and I have every reason to rejoice. Even though we are not yet in heaven, we carry a little bit of heaven inside each and every one of us. For we know this wonderful secret. For we are God's dear children. Even though it always hasn't been that way. Or to use another modern day saying, as uh, we talked about in the announcements, you are indeed kids of the kingdom. God is not just your father in some sort of formal way, or in that Bette Mittler song, from a distance, but he is our dad. And the Holy Spirit assures us of this in the waters of our baptism that you are kids of the kingdom, that you are members of his forever family. Again, Paul states in verse 15, you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. That's where the devil wants you to be. He wants your life immobilized constantly in fear. Luther's life is described in verse 2. Before he knew the truth of the gospel, in verse 2 he writes, Fast bound in Satan's chains I lay. My fears till sheer despair left only death to be my share. The pangs of hell I suffered. Again, Luther's mistaken understanding of God, a God of justice, but also a God of love, made him a slave to fear a slave to his own efforts to try to overcome his sins by his works. You know, isn't that the story of our life at times? And yet there are a lot of people in the world who don't feel this way. It's because our society has cultivated this mentality that we're not slaves to anybody. After all, we live in America. We live in the home of the free and the brave. 
But often that idea that we are free spiritually is taken too far to the point that we deny our sin altogether. Actually, the denial of sin shows that we have a spirit of slavery. Because inside, we're afraid. And when we say we have no sin, we what? Fool and deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But why is it that the devil is so effective in countries that are Christian in nature? Satan is effective, I believe, even in Christian nations, because people are getting away from the Word of God. They fail to understand what God has done for them in Jesus Christ. And again, they become fooled by the deceptions and the trickery of the devil. Even many people in our day excuse sin because they say, I didn't know any better. But again, the words of today's hymn in verse 4, Luther writes, But God has seen me in this wretched state before the world's foundation. And in his mercy, he planned for our salvation. Think about that. God saw us in our wretched state. And in his mercy... He planned for our salvation. It doesn't get any better than that. You know, again, that pretty much says that all the Spirit bore witness to Martin Luther that he was a child of God. Saved not by his own works, but saved by the righteousness of God apart from his works. Think about this. Righteousness is given to you and to me as a gift from God apart from every works. We enjoy such a privilege and such a responsibility as kids of the kingdom, as God's children. Again, you received a spirit not of slavery, but a spirit of adoption. Again, the Spirit himself testifies to this in verses 15 and 16. Again, what a wonderful privilege is ours because we are now under the control of the Spirit. So it is that the Almighty God, the maker of this vast universe with all of its power and with all of its awesomeness, is our Father. Pastor Don, I love the way you expressed that this morning, being able to, that picture of sitting on God the Father's lap. You know, there's an old Bible study from uh, CPH, Concordia Publishing House, and the author of that Bible study paints this picture. Those of you who are as old as I am and were around when President Kennedy was in office, maybe you remember seeing some of those pictures of his two children playing in the Oval Office. His son crawling under the president's desk. You know, that sort of behavior in that lofty setting is surprising as well as charming. It's the sort of behavior that only kids could get away with with their dad. You know, we enjoy the privilege of being God's kids. That means that we can come into the courts of God anytime. The door is always open to us. And we can ask Him as dear children, ask their dear Father. And not only do we have the privilege and access to the heavenly Oval Office through prayer, 
But Scripture also reminds us that we are heirs. Heirs with Christ. We are heirs to the family fortune. And the amazing thing is that we were not born into this family. But rather we receive this adoption. We receive this adoption through faith. We were under control of the sinful nature. But as Paul so powerfully put it, you and I have been adopted through baptism. You know, adoption is a powerful object lesson, isn't it? I was thinking to myself, uh, a picture a, 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 a man and a woman, picture a husband and wife going to an orphanage. And picture a young boy coming up to them and saying, I adopt you. Uh, I commit myself to you, my life to you. I am this moment making you my father. And I will be your adopted child. And I will receive your inheritance. Uh, that's my reaction. You know, I can picture this uh, man saying, whoa, wait a minute. That's not the way it works. You know, in no country in the world can children adopt parents. Only parents adopt children. You know, one of the widespread deceptions in Christianity that is popular today more than ever is the idea that sinful people can establish a relationship with God simply by saying, I commit my life to you, Jesus. I'm making a decision for Christ. And they defend those statements by often quoting the words of John chapter 1, verse 12, which says uh, to those, it says, but as many as received him, to them he gave them the right to become the children of God. But to connect, receive, to making a commitment or a decision for Christ is really a misinterpretation of the word receive. Receiving, they say, is something that you must do. However, God uses receiving in the passive, not in an active way. Remember what Jesus said in John 15? He said, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. Again, that whole concept or nuance behind receiving. When I played baseball in school, I was the catcher. Maybe this is a poor illustration. But I received the pitch from the pitcher. I didn't do anything to cause the ball to come across the plate. I simply received it from him. It is God, always God, who takes the initiative to adopt you and me to himself, not the other way around. In today's lesson, two possibilities are laid out before us along with the results. First of all, in verse 13, he says, if you live according to the sinful flesh, the sinful nature, you will die. You see, because of sin, the devil claims us as his own, as a captive slave. I wonder how many people in the world think that, that I am a captive to the devil because of my sin. God doesn't want you to be claimed by the devil. Your heavenly father is just like an earthly father. I don't know, my dad, he warned me about the dangers of living according to the flesh. And in retrospect, I thank God for my father constantly warning me. 
Your heavenly Father wants what is best for you and for me. And His love, His sacrificial love, is greater than any of us could ever begin to imagine. His sacrificial love is seen best at the cross and there at the empty tomb. Paul puts it this way. He says, In Him you have heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation. You have believed it, and you are sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance in heaven. So there you have it. We as Christians sing, Dear Christians, one and all rejoice. We need to spend more time doing that. Rejoicing. Dear Christians, one and all rejoice, and with good reason. Why? Because you are children of the Heavenly Father. In His name we ask it. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank You for adopting us into Your family, doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. And Lord, we also thank You that You give us the privilege of being uh, Your partners in spreading that good news of the Gospel. We ask, Lord, that You would continue to use us during this prime time of the year, when people are outdoors, when people are on vacation. Wherever we find ourselves, help us, Lord, to live our faith through our words and through our actions. And Lord, we also pray for those who are on vacation, those who are traveling this day. We pray that you would keep them safe from all harm and danger. And we pray for their safe return. All of these things we pray in Jesus' name. And all of God's children said, Amen.